chapter 7, verse 11 through 28. And it's one of those passages that when you first read it or hear it, uh, you might think that it sounds completely unrelated to real life. Because it's about something called priesthood and how Jesus, the Son of God, is a much greater priest than all those who came before him, who worked in the Jewish temple, um, following all of the instructions that God had given through Moses. And uh, Jesus is a greater priest because he holds a much greater priesthood. And you, you might just think, well, that just seems completely disconnected uh, from life, uh, totally irrelevant to me. But that's actually not true. Priesthood is relevant to your life and my life because in a very real sense, it is God's solution to our biggest problem. If you ask, well, why did God establish a system of priests in the Old Testament? And why did he promise that when Messiah came, he would be a priest and a priest of a different kind? You know, what is the purpose of all this? And the short answer is, God's goal in priesthood is to make people right with him without him doing wrong. I'll say that one more time. God's aim in priesthood is to make people right with him without him doing wrong. In other words, God's intention in giving priests is so that people could be made righteous and able to live in relationship with him. And God could accomplish that in such a way that doesn't involve him doing anything unrighteous, like acting as if evil doesn't matter, or just letting people destroy their lives, living completely disconnected from him, not knowing him. I want to give you a picture that I hope will help you uh, feel just how important priesthood is and why it should matter to you that Jesus is the perfect priest that we need and the fact that he is and the fact that he is so much greater than any priest who came before him that that fact should motivate us and, and cause us to honor him and uh, adore him and appreciate him and love him even more. So I want you to imagine you are on one side of an immense and very deep canyon. And the walls of this canyon are sheer. There's really no way that you can climb up or down these canyon walls. And yet everything that you need for life and happiness is on the other side of the canyon. Uh, food and drink and shelter and, and people you love and uh, safety because there's actually on your side of the canyon a raging wildfire 
headed your way. And if you don't get across the canyon, you're going to perish. So you absolutely need to cross over to live, to be happy. But you have absolutely no ability to cross over. And, and there aren't any helicopters. There's no aircraft. Your only hope is a bridge to cross over. But you don't have the resources to build it. You need someone else to build a bridge that you can cross over. Now that's a picture of what God's intention for priests has been. A priest is a mediator, a go-between, someone who goes between us and God and bridges this huge gap so that we can get to Him and we can find in Him everything that we need for life and happiness. And the point of this passage is that Jesus is that perfect priest that we need. He's the priest, He's the bridge that you and I need to make things right between us and God so we can go to Him and, and experience all that He has for us. So I want to read now Hebrews chapter 7, beginning at verse 11 and down through the end of the chapter. It's kind of long, but uh, stay with me. It'll, it'll be worth it. And I want to try to help you see all of this. Okay, so beginning at verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, so now that's the priesthood God established through Moses. It's called Levitical because the priests were of the tribe of Levi, a descendants of one of the 12 sons of Jacob, also called Israel. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? as the scripture foretold, one in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'll talk about him in a minute. Not in the order of Aaron. Aaron was the first Levitical priest. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said, that's Jesus, belonged to a different tribe. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord Jesus descended from Judah. It's another one of Jacob's 12 sons. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So Jesus couldn't be a priest under the law of Moses because he wasn't a Levite. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, not his genealogy, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, and now the author is going to quote from Psalm 110. This is about Messiah. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation, the Levitical priesthood, is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. 
Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. And because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests, Levitical priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, verse 25, this is awesome. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them, to be the bridge. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Okay, let's not lose sight of the forest because of all the trees here. Uh, let's first notice what the goal of priesthood is. We see it in verses 19 and 25. And the goal is drawing near to God. Coming to God. That's what priests do. They enable people to draw near to God. Verse 25, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through Him. Through Him means He's the mediator. He's the bridge between us and God. And first, let's just be amazed that God wants us to draw near to Him. That is amazing. But we need a mediator. We need a bridge. Why? Why do we need a mediator? Because God is righteous and we are not. God is perfectly, totally good all the time and we aren't. You know, it's a strange thing about us. Nobody lives up to even their own standards of right and wrong, let alone God's perfect standards of love and goodness. Yeah, there's a reason why so many religious traditions have a priesthood of some kind, because we just seem to know intuitively that we need a mediator. We need someone to go to God on our behalf and make things right, because we know we're not righteous. And the difference in priesthoods is, who's the priest? Who's able to be that mediator? Back in chapter 5, it said every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So the job of a priest was to bridge the gap between God's righteousness and our sinfulness by offering sacrifices. And a sacrifice is simply a substitute. It's the life of one given in exchange for the life of another. The priest would offer a sacrifice that paid the death penalty of the worshiper. 
And you might think, well, why is that necessary? Why can't God just forgive without a sacrifice? I mean, He's God. He can do anything He wants, right? Actually, no. He can't do anything that's contrary to His own character. We saw that last time when it said that God cannot lie. It's not just that He doesn't lie. He can't. It is His nature to be truthful. And likewise, He can't do anything unjust because it is His nature to be just, to be righteous. He can't ever say evil doesn't matter. This is a huge reason why Jesus died on the cross. And it's so important that we get this and remember this. You know, when we think of Jesus' death and ask, well, what does that show us? What does that reveal, Jesus' death on our behalf? We usually think that it, you know, that it shows us the love of God. And that's true. It does. Very powerfully shows us the love of God. We see that explicitly in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says God shows or demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for that. That's what the cross shows us. But Jesus' death also shows us something else. Very important. It shows us the righteousness of God. And this is in Romans 3.26. It, namely the sacrificial death of Jesus, was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So Jesus gave His life for us so that it would be just. It would be righteous for God to justify us. That is, to declare us righteous. To declare us not guilty. To acquit us of all the crimes we've done. Because Christ died for us. If, if it were not for the death of Jesus, it would be unjust for God to forgive us, for Him to declare us righteous. Because it is an injustice to let evil triumph, to let evil win. God can't do that. And we sometimes have a hard time with this. <laughs> because we tend to be selective in which evils really bother us. You know, some, some evils really bother us, especially the ones that other people do. You know, ours maybe not so much. Uh, we, we all have sins that we often think, well, they're not that bad. Yeah, I know they're wrong, but you know, I think that's something God should just sort of let go. Let it just pass over that. And you know, while it's true that all sins are not equally bad, 
it's also true that all sin is really bad. Really bad. Because it is contrary to the very nature of God. All sin is toxic. It's destructive. It's unloving. It's hurtful. And it deeply dishonors God who alone defines what is good and what isn't. That, that's really the fundamental problem we have with sin in defining it is we think we ought to be able to define what's good and what isn't. That's God's job. It's God's character that defines what's good. So, you know, we might think, okay, well, so sin has to be dealt with. And that's why God established priesthood and the sacrifices to deal with sin. But why all the rigmarole? Why is it so complicated? Because if you go back and you read the law on the Levitical priesthood and how they were selected and the clothing they were to wear and all of the furnishings in the tabernacle, that was the first temple, the portable temple, and uh, all of the sacrifices and all of the different procedures, I, it is very complicated. Why is that? Well, there's probably several reasons. But I think maybe the most significant is all of that was to impress upon us what an awesome thing it is to approach as a sinful people to approach the infinitely holy God. God wants us to draw near to Him, but that is not a trivial thing. And all of these complications were meant to get people's attention and to get us thinking, yeah, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. This is serious. Drawing near to the eternal God who made me in His image, that, that's my deepest need. I was made to delight in Him and to honor Him and to find my ultimate happiness in Him. But I'm a sinner. And my sin is a huge obstacle. I don't even fully realize how awful my sin is. But watching that priest sacrifice that animal, that innocent animal for me, watching that, that lamb die on that altar, it's dying the death that I deserve to die. And now I can draw near to God. This is not a casual thing. This whole system was set up to help us feel what we should feel about the awfulness of our sin and the absolute righteousness of God who calls us to come near. God wanted His image bearers to draw near, and so He gave them the Levitical priesthood, the temple, and everything so they could draw near. And it was a gift of His grace. You know, we might read all that and say, oh yeah, the law, man, that was really tough. It was a gift of His grace that we might feel and turn from sin and repent and understand its awfulness and be amazed that God would 
call us to draw near. So he gave him the Levitical priesthood, but there was a problem, as this chapter points out. That priesthood was imperfect. It did not completely solve the problem that priesthood is meant to solve. So when verse 11 says, if perfection could have been obtained through the Levitical priesthood, well, obviously perfection couldn't be attained that way. Why not? What, what was imperfect about the Levitical priests? I mean, they were just people. Ordinary sinners like you and me. They were fallen. And because they were fallen, they sinned and they died. And because they sinned and they died, they couldn't make anybody right with God permanently. Yes, God accepted their sacrifices. He established them. But the job was never completely finished. The Levitical priesthood could not solve the sin problem once and for all. And here's the thing. God knew. God knew it was an imperfect system when He set it up because it relied on sinful, mortal men to carry it out. Why would God do that? Why would God start with an imperfect system? Well, several reasons, but I think the most important is this. It's so that when His Son came to be priest, we would be amazed at how much greater His priesthood is. And we would honor Him and worship Him with gratitude for how great He is, because God wants. I mean, this is the non-negotiable thing about God the Father. He absolutely wants His Son to be honored. He wants us to honor Him above all others, to delight in Him above all others. And when you compare the priesthood of the Son to the other priesthood, it's just so much greater. And the fact that Messiah would be a priest and that his priesthood would be greater shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody who knew their Bibles because God foretold it right in Psalm 110, which is quoted in our passage. This was given to King David 500 years after the Levitical priesthood was established. And it says that Messiah would be a priest Not in the Levitical priesthood, but according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, who is this guy? What is this all about? Well, he's mentioned three times in the Bible, three different places. The first is in Genesis 14, where that's actually the historical narrative where Melchizedek shows up. He has an encounter with Abraham, who's the founding father of the Jewish race. And Melchizedek is called a king. He's the king of Salem, which later becomes Jerusalem. Salem means peace. He's a king of peace, king of that area. And we're also told that he is priest of God Most High. And he blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives him a tenth of all the spoils he just obtained in a great military victory. So that's the first appearance. The second is in Psalm 110, where God says, My Messiah will be a priest, but not like the Levitical priests you're used to. 
he's going to be a priest like Melchizedek. And then the third mention of Melchizedek is right here in Hebrews, where the author compares Messiah to Melchizedek, and especially how Messiah's priesthood is like Melchizedek's priesthood. So, okay, what's the point of this comparison? What are we supposed to learn from this? Well, I'm going to give you four statements to kind of sum it up. And you, you can jot them down and then later on read through the whole chapter and uh, you know compare and see if you think I'm right. So here's the first lesson, the first point of comparison. Just as Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, so Messiah would be greater than Abraham and all of his descendants, including the Levitical priests. So that, and that's just, you know, that's contrary to the normal way of thinking in those days. An ancestor is, was always considered to be greater than any of his descendants. Okay, but Messiah is going to be greater than Abraham, greater than the Levitical priests, as Melchizedek was greater. And we know that he's greater because he blessed Abraham and Abraham gave him a tenth. Second point, just as Melchizedek was priest and king, so Messiah will be both priest and king. That is, he'll be our mediator, our bridge to God, and he will rule over us for God. Now, Levitical priests couldn't be king. Priests and kings were two different groups. Third, just as Melchizedek has no beginning or end in the Bible, so Messiah will have no beginning or end in reality. Now, this one is intends to be the trickier one. Um, and you read about Melchizedek, it it's not saying that Melchizedek was a supernatural being. It's just, it means that when you read his story in Genesis, he just comes out of nowhere. There's no genealogy for him. There's no explanation of where he came from. And there's no mention of his death. And Messiah is like that. We're told in chapter 1 of this book, Hebrews, that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so he has no beginning or end. And that's a point of comparison. And then one more thing. God swore an oath to make Messiah's Melchizedek-like priesthood permanent. So Psalm 110, verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. No Levitical priest could ever say that. No mere mortal could be a priest forever. And yet that's exactly what God swore would be true of Messiah, which really ought to have gotten everybody thinking, well, who is this Messiah going to be? How can his priesthood be permanent? That's what God said. God can't lie. He cannot break his word. So to sum it all up, God promised a better priesthood in Messiah, a perfect priesthood, and Jesus 
has that priesthood. As the sinless, eternal Son of God, He's greater than Abraham, greater than any of His descendants, and He's king as well as priest. He's got no beginning, no end, and His priesthood will endure forever. And because all that's true, look at verse 25. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them, to bridge Him. Would you like to be saved completely or just partially? What a dumb question. Completely. Totally. That's what happens when we come to God through Him. So if you wonder, well, what do, what do we need a priest for? This is the answer. To make us right with God. To bridge the gap between us and God. Between death and life. Completely. Totally. The bridge does not go just halfway across the canyon. And then somehow, we've got to jump the rest of the way. And if you ever feel like, well, Jesus paid it 90%, 10%, I still owe. That is not true. Not when you come through Jesus. We need a priest who offered a perfect sacrifice for all of our sins to save us completely from eternal justice. We need a priest who intercedes for us always. And we need this today, and we'll need it tomorrow, and we'll need it next week, and the week after, and next month, and next year, and all the years God gives us until we finally stand transformed by Jesus in His presence. Jesus is the perfect bridge, the perfect mediator that you and I need if you want to come to God, as verse 25 says, come through Him. There is no other bridge. There is no other way. And why would you even want another way? He is the perfect bridge. He saves completely those who come to God through Him. See, if you, if you come through Jesus, you never have to worry that you're unwelcome. You never have to fear that you're too sinful, you're too messed up, you're too anything. Because Jesus always lives and He always intercedes for those who trust Him. He's always there to make things right. He's the bridge we cross over to draw near to God and find in Him everything we need for life and happiness. Let's pray together. Father, this is this is uh, this is awesome truth. This uh, thought that Jesus, this truth, this reality that Jesus is the perfect priest we need. There is no other priest who comes close.
There's no other priest that can bridge the gap for us. You have superseded and replaced everything before with Jesus who fulfills all of your intentions for priesthood that we might be right with You, utterly spotless in Your eyes because of Jesus and His perfect sacrifice. He's our bridge. Lord, if there's anyone listening today, anyone tuned in, who has never crossed that bridge, who has never said to Jesus, yes, You be my mediator. You be my priest. You make me right with God because I can't. I can't do it on my own. I can't cross over. And Lord, for any who might be feeling today that they've just sinned one too many times or they just can't get it right, and Lord, free us from thinking about ourselves and how good or not good we are. May we focus instead entirely on Jesus and come to You through Him. Help us with that. Help us see that and understand it and believe it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.